All right. Good morning. My name is Chris Nicholson. I'm a member here. I'm also, uh, I'm not as lean. I'm not as mean, but I'm still a Marine. I retired uh, just under two years ago. Thank you. From the Marine Corps. Um, and so I am one of the warriors that we're uh, talking about to end our series today. And as a Marine, uh, I follow a certain format for presenting information. And so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you what I told you. So the, the good news is we've got good news and we've got bad news. The bad news is we're surrounded. The good news is we can attack in any direction. So on that line, uh, you know, what I'm going to try to get you to do by the end of the day is look into the eye of the enemy and tell him, come take it. That's what I'm looking for you to do. But before I do that, I've got to tell you the bad news. And as these Spartan warriors were, we're facing great odds, especially as our warriors um, coming home today. And that's, that's my generation, the uh, generation of 2001 and forward. And these are our warriors uh, facing great odds. Um, our active duty today has shrunk both in real numbers and in terms of the percentage of the population, our population has gotten larger and our active duty population has gotten smaller. And so, you know, going back to, to Vietnam, you see that um, you had about 2.7 million active duty servicemen and that was about 1.3% of the population. Today, uh, you have about 1.28 million and that's uh, less than half of a percent of the population. So. Um, if you're on active duty and you're on one of those bases, you're surrounded by a lot of active duty folks. And so you're kind of on a sea by yourself. But then when you leave one of those bases, you're very isolated. And for a lot of the folks who are uh, maybe in the reserves um, or National Guard, you really are alone and unafraid out there. And you don't have a lot of uh, support aside from your family. And not a lot of people understand you once you get out. And so that's one of the things that, uh, that I found when I retired and, and I left the bastion that was the Marine Corps and the bases that we are isolated on and we really are isolated from society. Once you leave those places and you go out in society, it's like leaving the gorillas in the mist and you leave the mountains and you come down into society. And you know everybody is very uh, appreciative and is very thankful, but they really don't understand uh, what you've been through, and it's it's uh, it's a very difficult transition, and it's because of this isolation uh, that we feel, and so that leads to some problems. Uh, so next slide, you see that 25% of uh, families who don't have any connection to the military don't really pay attention, and so a, a lot of people, um, you know, it's not so much a problem in the South, but a lot of people don't even really know that right now that there are men and women uh, in our military fighting as we speak. Uh, in, in a lot of different places around the world. If you look at where uh, our active duty servicemen draw hazard duty pay, combat pay, it's a, it's a very wide swath of the world. And um, most people, you know, 75% of the people don't even pay attention to the news uh, about where that's happening. And so, you know, when you, again, when you come home and you start talking to people, 
you, you really get that feeling that they don't know what you did, they don't know why you did it, and um, it's not that they, they, they don't care, but you get that sense that they don't care that you did it. So uh, that leads to some, some problems, you know, because you go over there and, and we've lost uh, 6,627 killed in action. Um, you know, about 4,000 of those were in Iraq and uh, 2,200 in Afghanistan. And that was uh, just about two weeks ago. I pulled up those numbers and, you know, again, those get added to, um, you know, ongoing. Uh, because we're still fighting in both of those places. You can add Syria to the list and in a couple other places, the, uh, the stands, as we call them. Uh, lots of different places that we're fighting. Um, and then, you know, we get about 52,000 that are uh, wounded, um, 30 in Iraq, 32,000, and about 20,000 in Afghanistan. Um, and then kind of the real one, you know, where you see guys like myself that come home and, you know, we appear to be whole, Right. And that's really where you have the problems is uh, the, the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, which, you know, is a lot of jargon. I think it, it, it was really a lot better when you go back to some of the earlier terms for it, uh, shell-shocked and the thousand-yard stare. Those are, you know, really more appropriate, I think, to uh, what it really is. Um, and, you know, one out of every five folks who went to uh, Iraq and uh, one out of every ten in Afghanistan returning now, um, and this was as of uh, a 2014 study that the VA did, um, are going to be affected by PTSD. And so when you meet these, uh, you know, really a lot of them, when they go over there, they're, they're, they're kids. You know, you're talking 18, 19-year-old kids. And so while a lot of these folks are going, you know, the, the same generation are going to college and, you know, studying all the magazine studies and some other things, you know, these guys are going over there and they're dealing with some very real and very serious things and then they come home and and again the society is very disconnected from what they've done and so they're very vulnerable to uh to some lies that the devil can tell them that we'll talk about and so in 19 or sorry in 20, 2014 the uh, va did a study and um these are the results of the lies that the devil has told them um in that year an average of 20 veterans a day committed suicide and so that accounts for 18% of all suicides in our country, even though um, veterans only consist of 8.5% uh, of the population. So that makes uh, three, uh, three times higher uh, veteran suicide rate than everybody else. So it really does affect you know, the things that we have done and um, the isolation that they feel when they come home, that we feel, uh, really affects um, the quality of life that they have uh, when, when we come home. And so, uh, you know, starting in 2001 to the end of this study in 2014, you saw an increase of 32.2% of veteran suicide rate increase. And, uh, you know, that was 30.5% for males, and the real increase was in females. That's 85%. Um, so, you know, if you, you know, a lot of people think veterans, and they think people who look like me. And you know, you have to realize that it's an, it's an equal opportunity thing. It really is. And, um, you know, they talk about uh, women in combat. Women are in combat, and they have been in combat uh, since the beginning of this thing just because um, they were not in designated combat jobs. It doesn't mean that combat did not come to them and did not 
you know, kick in the door. So that's something to keep in mind is, you know, you, you can't really understand who it's touched. If you see a veteran, it, the chances are that, uh, you know, they've been damaged in some way. And so, you know, that's, that's the very real odds that, um, that these veterans are, are, are facing. You know, we're surrounded and at the same time we're isolated. You know, like those Persians uh, surrounding those Spartans. You know, the, if, if anybody knows that story, you know, it's anywhere from 300 Spartans, you know, and there were some other Greeks there. So up to 5,000 Greeks surrounded by you know, anywhere between 200,000 and 2 million Persians. So anywhere from 100 to 1 odds to 1,000 to 1 odds. And so that's why I use that, that clip for two reasons. One, to demonstrate the, the odds that they're surrounded by and, and their attitude, right? You know, did those guys, you know, seem afraid? Were they, they were ready to take those odds on. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to have. And I'll show you. Uh, you know, why they, you know, their, their faith was misplaced because all of those men were killed to a man. They all died and they lost the battle. But we can live and we can win the battle. In fact, the battle's already been won. So setting that up, you know, we're surrounded. We're surrounded and we're, you know, it looks like we're losing. And the reason that we're losing is because of the lies that the devil tells us, Right. And while we may have survived and we came home and some of us look whole, you know, the, the devil tells us, you know, um, and it's important to know that, you know, in this war, in this battle, you know, that there's a physical war and there's a physical battle here on this planet, but the real prize, the real jewel is, is us and, it, and it's your soul and it's, and it's fighting for each individual. Whether you're a veteran or you're not, that's the war, that's the battle, and that's what the devil wants. That's what the forces of evil, that's what they want, is they want you. And all they want, and they, and they whisper in the night, and they whisper in the darkness, lay down your soul, give me your soul. And they, and they whisper these things to you, and they tell you, because of the things you've done, they tell you, you know, you're too bloody. The things that you've done have caused you to to be irredeemable. And that's basically what all these lies tell you, is that the, the places that you've been, the things that you've done, the things that you've seen, are they, they've made you not worth saving. And, you know, you know I, will, I will tell you, you know, I've done, you know, I went over there twice, and, um, you know, I, I got in the mud, and I killed some folks, and, you know, I... I look at my hand and my hands look clean to everybody else, but I see the blood every day. And it's, I can't wash it off. It's, it's always there, always. And, and the devil tells me that, that I, I will never get clean, that, that that blood will never come off of me. And it's, it's stained and my, my heart is stained and I might as well give up, right? And that's, that's one of the reasons why veterans are committing suicide is because of those lies that, that they're being told. And, and they're, he's telling them you're too dirty, you know. You, you've got too much dirt in too many places. And there, there are times when I'm, you know, I'm with my kids and, you know, I'll smell a smell. And I'll smell, and it's dirt smells. And it takes me right back. 
and I'm, and I'm right back in Iraq. And I'm, and I'm there, and it's, and it's bizarre. I can smell it. And, um, you know, my, my wife works at the library, and she wanted to use some of my gear for uh, um, a uh, presentation for Veterans Day. And we pulled it out, and, and there was some, uh, I don't know, some residual um, dirt or something, some dust from uh, my last deployment, and it just kind of poofed up. And, and I mean, I was, I was right back there. I was right back in it. And, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, there's, if you've ever seen uh, the, uh, the mummy movies, you know, those, those, that big sandstorm where the, the mummy's face comes out, I mean, that stuff is real. Like, it's, you know, I've, I, I was a pilot, and I flew over there, and you had to race those things to get back to the airfield, or else you couldn't land because you couldn't see anything. And there were several times where we had to race back and land, and we would land, and that that wall, it was called a shamal, and that wall of just dirt and dust would just overwhelm everything, and you couldn't see, barely see your hand in front of your face, and everything was orange, and it would get into everything, and, and you would just have this feeling that you were never going to be clean again. It was in all of your clothes, and your ears, and your eyes, and your nose, and your mouth. It was, it was everywhere, and just having that come out of my gear when we were taking it over, I could just, I was just right back there. And, and that's, the de devil tells you you're just never going to get clean again, you know. And then once you get back, you know, you still got buddies over there, you know. And um, I was in a stateside um, duty station uh, a few years ago, and um, some, of the, some of the guys I knew were over in Afghanistan and some insurgents came into the base that they were in and uh, attacked the base and uh, destroyed eight uh, Harriers, the plane that I flew, and uh, killed a couple of guys, uh, killed the CO of the squadron, a, a man that I flew with. Um, um, Otis Rabel was uh, his call sign, Otis, and um, killed one of the sergeants there, destroyed eight airplanes, uh, eight aircraft, so that was, you know, several hundred million dollars worth of airplanes and you know it just it just hits you you know you, you can go along and you can try to put it out of your mind and say I'm I'm home I'm safe I'm with my family and then you know somebody that you know dies and uh, and then they tell you it should have been you you know and you left them behind and you know the that's uh, you know that the lies that that the devil tells you is that you know why are you here? Why are you home? Why are you safe when you should still be there? You should still be fighting. You, you, shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have left them, you know? And, um, and then that kind of, you know, that shame and that, you know, despair that, that gets fed to you, you know, leads kind of to the, to the last thing is the, the things that you've seen, the things that you've done uh, leads to the hate and you know, when, when Pastor Rod preached, uh, uh, you know, several months ago about, uh, you know, asking God questions, one of the questions I had was, you know, why do I hate so much? Why do I have so much hate that I can't let go? And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, when I see somebody uh, from the Middle East and from that, you know, wearing that type of garb of that descent, you know, I, I have a, a visceral, you know, physical reaction. And, you know, it's, it's something, it's emotional, and it's something that I can't help. And, 
you know, I'm preparing to defend myself. And that's just from, from being over there. And I'm sure, you know, from other veterans of other wars, it's, it's, it's some other trigger. Um, there, are, there are sounds that I hear that, that, that also cause that reaction. And, um, you know, it, it causes me to be irrational around my kids and my wife. And, um, you know, it's, it seems, seems like you're not, you know, not a normal person sometimes. And so, um, you know, the, the devil uses your overreaction on those things to tell you, you know, hey, you know, how can you be a, a normal person worth redeeming if you have that much hate in your heart? You know, normal people don't hate that much, right? And, you know, we go back to those statistics and, and if you're alone and you, you don't have anybody to talk to and nobody else understands that, then it's, it's very easy to despair in the dark and, and to listen to those whispers and to succumb. But, you know, that leads us to, you know, to the hope, to we're surrounded, but we can attack in any direction. And, you know, that's, that's the, the truth is, we have hope. And, you know, that's where I want to get to Matthew 5, uh, 8, 5 through 13. If you've got your Bible, you can pull that out and we'll talk about the, the one person in the Bible that amazed Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was only amazed at one individual in the entire Bible. Well, he was amazed at another group of folks, but he was amazed in a bad way at their lack of faith. He was amazed at this, uh, this person in the Bible, and we'll, we'll go over that. So uh, this is Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And this is the faithful centurion, if you're familiar with this. So when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So it's important to understand several things about this story. One, this is a Roman centurion. And the important thing about this is the Roman centurions were in charge of oppressing the people that the Romans had conquered. So for this Roman centurion to be uh, a character of such character that he would approach Jesus and be in good standing with the local Jews, that tells you what kind of a man he was, that he was a, a kind man, um, a thoughtful man, a man of faith. 
The other thing that you have to keep in mind is that he was an active centurion. So to get to be a centurion, a leader in the Roman army, you had to do all the things that I just described. And not only that, you had to be actively doing them. You know, and the Romans were not nice people. You know, as we read in the Bible, you know, all the things that they did, he was still following their orders. And so, you know, he's done all the things. He was not a clean person. His soul was not clean. His acts were not clean. And Jesus knew him just like he knows us. He knew us before we were born. He knows everything that we're going to do. And he knew this man and he was still amazed by his faith. So that's, you have to know that if Jesus can be amazed by a man such as the centurion who has done the things that the centurion has done, there is no one who is beyond saving. There is no one who has gone so far away from God that they cannot be saved. There is no one who is so unclean that they cannot be washed in the blood of Christ and be saved. And the important thing is what Jesus Christ was amazed by. And he was amazed by the faith of the centurion. And so now we have to wonder, well, why, was, why did the centurion have such faith in Jesus Christ? Why was he, why did he say, you know, you don't even have to come under my roof. You just have to say it. And for that, you know, we just need to look at the Bible and look at what the Bible says. If you go to Genesis 1-3, you see where basically, you know, God starts everything, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So remember, Jesus is God. So here is God saying, let there be light, let there be a world, and there was a world. So if Jesus can say that, and it can happen, and Jesus can say, you can be saved then you can be saved. It's that simple. All you have to do is have faith. And that's all the centurion is saying is, you know, I am a simple commander and I tell my soldiers to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. To him, it was very simple. That is the faith of a soldier, the faith of a centurion. To go further, if you look at John 1, 1 through 5, and remember, we're talking about uh, Jesus being part of God. And when they talk about Jesus, a lot of times they refer to him as the Word. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So again, you know, Jesus is the word. So when he says something, it is so. It does happen. So to have faith in him is, is really a simple and an easy thing. So Jesus is our commander, and what we have to remember is on the cross, Jesus took all of our blood, all of our dirt, all of our shame at leaving our brothers behind, 
all of our shame at having survived what we survived, all of our hate, all of our sins, and he stood in our place through a, a, a fancy theological term called propitiation. He stood there for us and he took it all away. And so all of that, in that one act, he took all of those lies and he took it away from us. And he stood in our place and he washed it away. And that's what made all of those things lies. And that's what took all the power away from the devil and the forces of darkness that surround you. And once you realize that, you realize that he has won the war for us. And so if you could go back and if you've ever been in a conflict or a war and you knew that you could step out of your fighting hole and know that you could not be killed, if you could know that the war has already been won, no matter what you did, how much faith would that give you? How much stronger would you be? Would you charge out of your position? So that's what we need to understand is that we have a commander whose word is the absolute final and divine will of God. And so that's why the faith of the centurion is so important and it's such a key passage when you're talking to a veteran is to understand that here is a veteran who amazed Jesus Christ. Someone who probably did far worse things than most veterans today, who got up close and personal with a short sword and did them for no other reasons than the, you know, the, the vile Romans told him to. He did it for money. He did it because you know he didn't have anything else to do, basically. And that's what most of the, the Roman centurions were, is they were mercenaries. They did that rather than be slaughtered when, they, when their territory that they lived in was overrun by the Romans. So that's basically what this man was, but he amazed Jesus Christ with his faith. So if a man like that can amaze Jesus Christ with his faith, what can we do? What kind of faith can we have? And that kind of leads us to, the, to my final point, the Spartans, the 300, right? Everybody loves them. We put stickers on the back of our car, come and take it, right? Mulan Lave, right? Everybody loves that. Those guys all died at the gates of hell, Thermopylae, right? They all died, all 300 of them. And eventually, we'll probably forget them. You know, they make a great story. And their odds were great. But who's, who, who had greater odds? You know, here's... 300 versus, at, at the greatest estimate, 2 million. Contrast that with Jesus Christ, who was one man, and remember, he was a man. He was God, but he was also man, facing the entire power of evil, everything that evil could muster, devil himself, nailed to a cross, both all of evil on earth and all of evil in hell for you and for me. Those are the greatest odds anyone has ever faced in, in all of history. And he did it willingly. He did it for you and he did it for me. And he would have, did, he would have done it if it was just, just us, 
just for one, he would have done it. And those are the greatest odds ever. And, and he walked away three days later. Right? He's like, what? And when he died, does anybody know what he said? He said, it is finished. It is finished. And those words, and, you know, if you read the aftermath of that story, you know, what did those, again, we're talking about centurions and warriors. What are those centurions who, who derided him, who rode him, who beat him? What did they do? They gave up, right? They threw down their weapons. They, you know, they were just overwhelmed because it is finished. There, there are several things that it means. It is the thing that is said in you know, when the, when the gladiators were fighting and the fight had ended, it was what was used, that phrase was said to say, you know, all debts have been paid. The fight is over. It is finished. And the other thing that it was said was at the end of the fight, when the Roman legions had won the battle, they would shout, it is finished. We have won. So here you are, an executioner, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, and you have just executed an enemy of the state. And right before he dies, he looks at you and he says, I've won. And then, you know, this great earthquake happens and, you know, the heavens and the earth do all these crazy things. You know, I mean... I, what would you do, right? That is probably, you know, that is the greatest one-liner in the history of the world. It is finished. I have won. And he did it for us. And so, you are basically in one of two places right now. You are either, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And so, you are the cavalry, and you're waiting to ride over the hill and save someone. Or you're surrounded by the forces of darkness and they're whispering those lies into your ear. And you are, you're hopeless, right? Well, now you have hope. And now you know that your enemy has no power over you and that you are what they want that your soul is what they want and that you are their greatest piece of terrain, what they're trying to conquer. And so all you have to do is accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior and shout back at them, come and take it because the, you know that they have no power over you and that is the biggest lie in the world, the lie that the devil doesn't want you to know is that they have no power over you. They can't come and take it. Unlike the Persians, they can't come and take it because it is finished. So if you'll bow your head, close your eyes. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for Memorial Day. 
thank you for all the men and women who have sacrificed for this nation to make us free. Thank you for all those who are deployed today who are making that sacrifice. Please allow us to remember them, to support them when they come home, to support them with our thoughts and our prayers and to love them and to show them to be the cavalry that comes over the hill, to show them the truth, to show them that the devil has only lies for them. And if we are one of those who is struggling, who doesn't know you, allow this truth to support us and to show that light and let us look into the eyes of the enemy to scream into his teeth and to shout, come and take it and take his power away from us. In your name we pray, amen.